Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. James 2, 14 through 26 says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, by faith, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. Everyone say dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did and offered his son Isaac at the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, that person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. That's one of the controversial scriptures. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And then I also want to read Galatians 5, 6. It says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The title of my message today is Fruit of Faith. Fruit of Faith. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm ready for some fruit of faith. Fruit of Faith. Let's pray before I unwrap this. Lord, right now, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active. We thank you that your presence is with us. So Lord, I pray you'd open up ears to understand, open up minds to see. Lord, that we would receive your word and be forever changed by what you want to say today. Anoint my voice, anoint people's ears. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. We live in a really uh, interesting time. I feel like every day I am uh, blown away by all the different things that I see. I couldn't imagine really growing up maybe even 50 years ago before we all had phones in our pockets and, and social media. You know what I'm saying? Like the world is so interesting right now. And one of the most interesting things that I'm seeing all across society, especially in America, is uh, people who are self-entitled. Or the people, a better way to say it, sorry, is the people who have given themselves a title. People who have said, yep, I am this thing, yet maybe they don't have any training. They haven't gone to any school for that. Has anybody experienced this before? Just me, okay. 
Like, I've actually been around a lot of these people, as well as it's all over Instagram and social media right now. Like, you have someone's name, and then you have their bio. Like, what is the person about? And a lot of people will go on their bio, and they'll write whatever they think that they are. One person will put, like, I'm a physical trainer. And you're like, bro, I haven't seen you in the gym in, like, a year, man. People will put, like, I'm a traveler. Like, I'm a world traveler. And I'm like, you've only ever gone to Iowa. Like, you... You haven't even left the United States of America, you know what I'm saying? But people will put these titles and they have no certification of that thing and they'll just say, I am this thing. I remember going to coffee with a guy, it was a couple years ago, and he begins to tell me how he loves to write songs, he loves to produce music, he loves to make albums. And I was like, dude, send me some of your stuff. Come to find out he didn't have anything to show me. And I'm like, how can you even say you're a songwriter if you've never really written a song? You know, I, I actually am kind of guilty of this. It was a couple of weeks ago, I was getting coffee with someone, and they said, Alex, what do you like to do in your free time? Well, you know, I've, I've explained, if I ever have talked to you before, um, I came from being a creative pastor to church. So we made albums, we wrote a lot of music, I trained songwriters. I mean, making music is one of my greatest passions. And I sat at this coffee, and I began to tell him, yeah, I love writing and making music. And as I'm saying it, I'm realizing I haven't done this in like a year now. Like, I've been so focused on the church, I've put that on the back burner, and I'm like calling myself a songwriter, and I haven't written a song in a year, right? It's so funny I would do this. My son, even the other day, he comes in, he goes, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be a bodybuilder. And I was like, sick, okay. And I grab like a five-pound kettlebell, and I put it in his hand, and I say, here you go, you got to do it. And he says, no, Dad, I got to get big muscles first. It's like, no, man, you don't get it. You don't get it. But I think we're probably all guilty of this in big and small ways, aren't we? And if you're to boil down this scripture in James into the most simple of explanations, it would be that we can't just assign titles. We can't just say we're people of faith and have no proof of it. Hear this. James isn't writing a book to any particular church. He's simply writing down what he's seeing. See, the church at large at this moment is mostly made up of Reformed Jews, this book is considered a general epistle or letter. Recently, it's been discovered that James was actually the first book in the New Testament written. It was written about seven to ten years after the ascension of Jesus. So it's really a first-hand account on what's happening in the early church. James is just simply writing down what he's seeing happening. So James chapter 2. James is seeing people who call themselves believers. They've written it in their bios. They've told the world, I'm a believer. Yet when faced what it looks like to be Jesus to people around them, they don't take action. And we see this in verse 14 through 16. It says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Like I said, you can almost read between the lines here and see the fact that James is, is really just writing down what he's seeing. Like he sees believers say, oh, yep, yeah, I'm a believer, but then all of a sudden someone asks for something and they deny them that. Like, go, go have a good life, and they don't actually do something about that. James is just writing this down. And then the controversial statement comes into place. Verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is 
dead. James, that's an intense statement. Like we love to preach grace, don't we? We preach grace all day long. We love to open up our prayers. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy that's new every single morning. And James comes in, your faith, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I wanna take some time to unfold that a little bit more, but the rest of that scripture says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, James is going in right here. He's first of all saying that faith, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. I don't, like when you read this, it's wild that he can take such a strong stance on the matter. Like how can he tell us what we believe and what we don't believe, right? This is something that you've made the decision in your head, I believe in this, and then he's telling us if it's not accompanied by actions, then you didn't actually have faith and you didn't actually believe. That's such a strong statement. Do you see how it's controversial? This almost eliminates grace. And now that we have the new, the whole full New Testament, we see scriptures of the gospel that almost contradict this scripture. Romans 10, 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. You confess and you believe, you're saved, yet James is saying if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. See, that's what we hang our salvation on. Here at even Grace City Tampa, we'll say at the end of service, if you want to get saved, you simply need to say this prayer, repeat after us, and we give you an opportunity to walk in salvation. And I really believe that they will be saved. I believe the power of Romans 10.9. I believe it to be true. And I believe James to be true. How? They seem to contradict each other. But I'm here to tell you that I believe Romans is true and James is true. James is setting the table for us to understand what it looks like to be a true believer. He's saying in verse 19 that it's not enough to just say we believe because even the demons believe. It's not enough just to say, yeah, there's a God, good. There's a guy, he's out there, good. Because if we're not actually living out this faith, then he's saying your faith is dead. See, we have to know God. We actually have to know God. And we actually have to take what we know about God and live that out. And I always say this when I get to the end of my message and I give the moment for people to respond to Jesus. I say, uh, if you just gave your life to Jesus, you took the first step in this faith journey. It's a beautiful sight, right? And we understand that. If I, if I make that clear to people in this great journey of life, if you're gonna walk a marathon of life, just saying you believe is the first step. So we see Romans 10, 9 is actually true. Yes, you are saved in that moment. Even the guy crucified next to Jesus on the cross lived a life of crime and then asks Jesus, he says, can I be saved with you? And he says, yes, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't even have the opportunity to do works. He didn't have the opportunity to prove his faith. He didn't have the opportunity to take faith and operate it and help others. So yes, Romans 10, 9 is 100% true. Saying yes to Jesus and believing in him, you are saved. And yet, James is also correct. 
How could they both be right, church? Are you ready for this? When we truly accept Jesus into our lives, it should change everything. Everything. Every decision. Every single interaction. Every word we say. It should be, in a sense, giving birth to love and mercy and justice. When we say yes to Jesus, we give him everything of us. And it should be an automatic welling up and overflowing of the love of Jesus from the inside out. It should change absolutely everything. See, we are changed and we have the mission of Jesus written on our lives. It should impact the world around us. We should never be the same. Every opportunity to help someone, we should help them. Every opportunity to share the gospel, we should share the gospel. And out of the overflow of our believing and faith, there should be evidence of that in our lives. Out of the overflow of believing in faith, there should be evidence following that in our lives. Have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? You are what you eat. People used to say this to me. I remember I was 10 years old. I was on a cruise with my family, and, and in the menu was escargot. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to eat this. And my aunt leans over and goes, you are what you eat. I'm like, don't say that to a 10-year-old. That's messed up. But it's true, isn't it? What you put in is what you're going to get out. What you put in is what you're going to get out. And I think that this is important for us to see that when we believe in God and when we accept him into our lives, when we say we want to follow you with everything, it should change everything. And it should be the output, the overflow of our lives should change the world around us. It's almost an automatic. Are you with me, church? So James finishes up this section by saying in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This can get dangerous to talk about. See, as we get caught up in a works-based salvation, this isn't what we're talking about. The idea that we need to earn our salvation. We can't, we can't get caught up in the lie of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you need to earn your salvation. No, Jesus paid your debt in full when he died on the cross. When he gave his life for you, every single sin you committed and are gonna commit is covered by the cross. This isn't about works. This isn't about doing good things just so we can earn it. Jesus already took care of that. So it can be dangerous to talk about. The idea that we need to be a good person to go to heaven, that's not true. We are not saved by works. We're saved by Jesus and what he did on the cross. We are saved by confessing Jesus as Lord. And hear me say this today. Good works are not a means to justification, but rather the product of sanctification. Good works are not a, are, let me read it again, are not a means to justification, but rather the product of sanctification. When we are sanctified, when we are saved, when we are made right, when we are made right in God's sight, the product that comes out of us is good works. It's good works. 
Can I tell you that if you really did commit your life to Jesus and confess Jesus as Lord, your life would be forever changed. It wouldn't be about us anymore. It would always be about God and for others. And there would be an overflow from your believing that changes everything about you. See, salvation comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. So to understand where works fit in the midst of this, it gives us context to our believing. And I love it. It's said this way by Gabriel Finocchio. He says this, faith justifies your soul. Your works justifies your faith. Do we see that? So it's not about works justifying your soul. That's where we get caught up in works-based salvation. No, it's your, it's your works justify your faith. Are you with me, church? And this leads us to the title of my message, The Fruit of Faith. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So see this. He's talking about people that just say, yep, I've done all the religious practices to make up my belief system. I've done everything that I need to do to say that I believe in God. I've taken the steps to say, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a follower of God. But he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith, our belief in God. It's not just a belief. It's not just the look of religion. Yes, can I tell you, uh, people have been trying to get rid of the word religion in church for a little bit now. I think it's wrong. Religion is simply a word that means a, a certain set of beliefs and values according to like a supernatural being, right? Yes, we have a religion, but we aren't religious. We gotta, we gotta shy away from saying we're religious people. That's what he's talking about. Religious people are people who say they believe, but they're not operating in relationship. We're operating in relationship. So after reading Galatians 5, I can see the issue with James. See, James forgets one very important ingredient in the midst of all he's saying. I honestly, can I just be honest? I think James just assumed people would know. And that's fine. And I know why Martin Luther want, probably wanted to have this removed from the Bible because how intense it is to say if you're not, if there's not works coming from your life, from your belief, then your faith isn't there. I get it. See, faith expressing itself through love is the ingredient. See, you are being you being saved isn't just about you going and doing missions work for the rest of your life. It's not just about laying down your company that God has clearly blessed to start a homeless ministry. Some are called to that and more power to you and we wanna support you and back you if you've been called to do crazy, outrageous things for God. But so often we think, oh yeah, like I believe in God. Okay, now I gotta just go like do the crazy mission work and go to the, go to the countries, do the thing. It's like, you know, all this stuff. And even Brianna and I, we knew with our salvation and with what God has called us to do, we had to lay down our lives to move across the country to start this church. We knew that. It's amazing when people can do those things. And we are so fortunate that God has called us to do this assignment, me and Brianna. But more than that, in Galatians, it brings us context of what our expression should be. Paul says, faith expressing itself through love. This is what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life sacrificially with love. We think that we need to make this big extravagant thing like, yeah, my works better look like this. No, faith expressing itself through love. You believe, you express with love. What's the fruit of faith? Love. What's the fruit of faith? 
laying down your life sacrificially for others. What's the fruit of faith? You believe in God. You believe in his word. You accept him into your life to have full control of your life. Love. Loving the people around you. A couple weeks ago, I told a story about experiencing some persecution at one of my city groups. And there was a guy named Sal there. I don't know if Sal is in the room today, but Sal is this incredible man who has been on a faith journey now for a couple years. And just recently, within the last, I would say, 10 months of coming to Grace City, Tampa, his faith has been solidified, and he's walking it out stronger than he's ever walked before. I mean in the sense that this guy is reading the Bible for himself and, and taking it in and helping others as well. Now he's leading a Bible study. He like tells us every day, he's like, I can't believe I get to lead this Bible study uh, with, these, with these students at my school. It's beautiful. Uh, he grew up a little rough. He was in New York, and, uh, and he was kind of one of those rough around the edges guys. If you mess with Sal, he was going to mess with you. You know what I mean? That's kind of like he's got that New York-like attitude. And, uh, and Sal was there at this moment this guy was persecuting us. And Sal got up and put his arm around the guy and prayed for him, showed him the love of Jesus, and sent him on his way. It's about five minutes later, Sal calls me emotional, super upset. He's like, I don't even know who I am anymore. It's like, what are you talking about? He goes, the old Sal would have punched him in the face. I was like, thank God we don't have the old Sal. The cops would have come to have been crazy. The old Sal would have fought back, would have defended you. And I, said, I go, Sal, you're being transformed by God. Because instead of showing anger, malice, you showed love. That was just out of the overflow of his believing. That was allowing God to seep into every part of his life, surrendering to God, walking out his faith, and yet his actions weren't hurting other people. It was loving other people. It was being Jesus to those around him. This is the perfect example of what the fruit of faith should look like. He didn't force love. It was the fruit of his relationship with Jesus. And I'd even say this. The fruit of faith is loving people the way that Jesus loves us. That's the fruit of faith. Let's simplify this today. Can we do that? Loving people the way that Jesus loves us. Imagine if I tell Brianna that I love her, yet I never do anything for her. Like, have you ever heard of these love languages things? Like, ever, you know, there's like these five different love languages. And oftentimes, if you want to know what's wrong in marriage, most people are trying to love their spouse the way that they receive love rather than the way that their spouse receives love. That's usually the disconnect. If you ever sit down with a couple, you're like, what's your first love language? Oh, it's quality time. What's yours? Oh, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's gifts. Okay, great. How do you love your spouse? Oh, with gifts. They need quality time, not gifts. You know what I'm saying? So we see, we see how simple it is to love someone, but if I, in the same way, if I never met Brianna's needs of love, I don't even, I mean, it would be so hard. We would live the rest of our lives in a sacrificial marriage of going, yep, we're just gonna get through this because we signed the paper and we said to God, we're gonna do this. Like, it would be so hard, but can I tell you, it looks like this laying down, this sacrificial love. And, Jesus says it like this to Peter. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, you know I love you. And then he says, feed my sheep. He doesn't just say, okay, yeah, I know you love me. He says, do what I'm calling you 
to do. Even the royal law that Jesus speaks about is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So we see that it starts with love. It's completely covered in love. We gotta love God. And then the next one is love your neighbor as yourself. We love people. Out of love for the Lord should lead us to the fruit of faith, which is to love others. So what do we do from here? We refute the tendency to divorce faith and works. Oftentimes we try to partition them, right? Faith over here, I believe, okay, that's good. I'm gonna spend my whole life in my room doing this, worshiping God, that's great. And works, yep, that's only on serve days. Works, that's only when I go to the soup kitchen. That's only when I show up on a Sunday morning early to help set up church. I'm gonna separate the two. We need to refute the tendency to divorce the two. So what we notice from every hero of faith is that all of them had faith and acted because of that faith. Abraham willingly taking his son to the altar, Noah building an ark, Moses and his multiple actions of faith, Gideon and his 300, Esther approaching the king for the freedom of the people. See, faith and works go hand in hand. We can't separate the two. So I simply want to give you three really quick points how to refute the tendency to divorce faith and works. And I'm going to invite the band up as I do these. The, the three are this, stewardship, awareness, and willingness. Stewardship, awareness, and willingness. First of all, stewardship. Stewarding yourself towards the fruit of faith. See, a fruit tree has to get the right nutrients from the water, has to get the right nutrients from the soil, has to get sun, has to be pollinated for it to be able to produce fruit. So are you stewarding yourself to actually be able to produce fruit? Are you putting yourself in the right place? Are you filling yourself with the right things? Are you stewarding your relationship with Jesus to be a place where you actually can produce great fruit? And the simplest forms of this simply look like lead yourself, be in church, read your Bible, spend time with the Lord, talk to Jesus, be with other believers. That's the power of when we come together as the church on a Sunday morning. It's to stand arm in arm, to be good stewards and to lead ourselves and put ourselves in the right place and simply to put our faith into action. This looks like good stewardship. Number two is awareness, opening our eyes to see others around us. I've been guilty of this, can I be honest with you? Uh, every day when I drive into Tampa, there's some homeless people that sit on the side of the road on my off ramp. And I, I can't even count the amount of times that I've offered a dollar, given out a couple sandwiches. There are some mornings though, where I just, I got my music going. I don't have a dollar, I don't have a sandwich to give them. And it's just easier to look straight. I'm probably alone in this room. And what I've noticed in those moments is I choose not to be aware in the, because maybe I could have just said, no, sorry, I don't have it, but I choose to ignore it. And it was a couple weeks ago, I'm driving with my kids and I didn't have a dollar to give and I didn't have a sandwich to give. And my kids are in the back seat and they go, dad, we need to give that guy a dollar right now. And I was like, oh no, we don't have anything to give them. And then they're like, can we just say hi? And I was like, oh my goodness. Now every day when I roll up, I'm like rolling my window. Hi, sorry, I don't have anything today, but maybe tomorrow, you know what I mean? But I love their awareness. 
that they, the way that they see it. And this is a choice we all have to make. We all have to choose to be aware. We all have to choose to open up the peripherals of our faith to say, who's in need? How can I help? I'm not perfect at this. I'm growing in this. Is that okay that we talk like this? But I tell you what, we need to be aware of all the things around us. This is a way we can let our fruit of our faith come to be. And the last one is willingness. We actually need to make the choice to be willing. We have to choose in our hearts to willingly give our fruit. See, a fruit tree, when it holds on to his fruit, it stays there until the bugs get it and it rots off and then it falls to the ground, creates a stench. But when a fruit tree releases its fruit, when someone pulls the fruit off, it brings life to other people around it, as well as the seeds can be planted to continue to build a legacy. We actually have to choose to be willing to release our fruit. It's not just like a bank account. We're building up God inside of us. and We're like, yeah, look how holy I am because I spent three hours in prayer and worship. It's like, no, we actually have to take the time and the belief and the faith and release it because it's gonna make an impact. It's gonna give life to others. Sacrificial love is the fruit of faith. Loving like Jesus loved. Three ways to refute tendency to divorce faith and works is stewardship, awareness, and willingness. It's the fruit of faith to love people. We should never overcomplicate this, and I hope we can keep it so simple. Is that okay? I pray we can keep it simple, and I pray this brings clarity. Last night I was going through my message notes, and I had this moment with God as I was reading this. And God was just speaking to me. You know, every sermon that I'm writing is like, not only God speaking to me, but me praying that God uses it to speak to you. I'm not here to preach flashy messages. I'm not here to blow your mind. I promise you, I will never blow your mind. Is that okay? That's a weird promise to give. I wanna preach messages where seekers are enlightened with the word of God. I wanna preach messages where people who have said yes to Jesus, taking their first step, are simply are simply reminded of the word of God. And I wanna preach messages where disciples of Jesus are helped to be trained and equipped to duplicate the process. It's really simple. But last night as I was going over my notes and I had this big conclusion laid out and I'm like, how are we gonna wrap this thing up and make it really simple? Here's the hero of the faith. I just stopped. And I began just to think about what this means. I began to think about the power of when we accept Jesus into our life and this overflow of faith and this overflow of belief. And Brianna was over on the couch as I was sitting there and God just started to download something to me in that moment. And I go, Brianna, Brianna, I gotta, I gotta stop you from reading your book. I have to tell you what the Lord is speaking right now. I said this earlier that out of the overflow of faith and believing, there should be evidence in our lives of that. I really do believe that. I think that why we don't see that evidence all the time is there's a tendency in our culture of God being an add-on in your life. There's a tendency in our culture of taking God like he's just another partition of this great life. Like, yeah, I got God, I got my work. I go to church on Sundays, that's my God thing. I'll pray, I'll, I'll lay out some devotions time. That's my God time. 
We almost partition out our lives, and I'm not judging. It's almost like God is an accessory to our lives rather than our whole lives. See, even when we say the sinner's prayer, we say this thing, we say, God, come into my life, and yes, it's all good. We say, God lives in us. And we get this idea, this is how it's been built for us. This is how, in our minute understanding, we can understand maybe the idea of God coming into us and transforming us. We get it. But I think in our minimal understanding of how God's wor God works, we shove him into our lives because that's the only way that makes sense to us. God, come into my life. Some have even said before that you have a God-sized hole in your heart and only God can fill it. I think the issue is, is it's us-centered. We're all guilty of this. And we probably do it all the time, myself included. But I love what Acts 17, 24, this is what God was revealing to me last night. It says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For in him, we live and move and have our being. In him, not in us. In him. I could have sworn the way we've always seen it is in us. Come into my life, God. Be an add-on to my life, God. When what it's saying is in him we live and move and we have our being. If we understand that there's a big difference in this, this isn't about adding God into our lives. This is about us adding into his life. This is about us walking into the plan that he has for us. This is about experiencing the life and the love and the freedom that he has for us. And hear me say this today. If you don't hear anything else, true salvation comes at the point when you're willing to lay down your own life to follow Jesus. It's us laying down our own lives. Matthew 16, 24 says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, what? Will find it. Do we see this? It's not, it's not this idea of, yep, okay, God, you're my accessory. You come into my life. No, it's in him. I come into you. I lay down my life. I die to myself. This is what believing is. This is what living for God is. I'm going to lay myself down, and yet we will find life in him. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? And I think if we see it in that way, if we make it that simple for us, right? It's a change of perspective. It's a change of idea. It's no longer God coming, being in our pocket. Hey, I got you, God. It's now us being in him. It's a lot easier to understand that the fruit of faith is to love. We're in him. We're in him. And we'll find our being. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes across this room? We give this opportunity at the end of every service. And it's simply for people who have not given their life to Jesus or who want to rededicate their life to Jesus just to simply acknowledge that. And what did I say earlier?
take the first step. So if that's you in this place and you wanna give your life to Jesus, you feel like you've been walking away and it's time to return to God, this is your moment right here, right now to take the first step in this beautiful journey of faith and believing. I'm gonna count to three. At the count of three, if that's you, would you just raise your hand acknowledging that you wanna take the first step? One, know that God loves you so much he sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that you could know life and life in abundance. Two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You don't need to wait till you fully understand. You don't need to wait till everything makes sense. Just take the first step. Just walk in this. If you have anything in your heart telling you today that yes, you need to raise your hand. Three, go ahead and raise your hand right now, if that's you. Come on, go ahead and raise your hand across this room. Let's give a moment longer. Anybody who wants to give their life to Jesus or return to God right here, right now. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And the second call I wanna to give today is this. You would say that you've taken the first step at one point in your life. You said yes to God. You have faith and you believe. And yet there maybe is a disconnect. There's been a tendency to separate works and faith. Well, today we can understand hopefully a little more clearly that out of the overflow of faith and believing, the fruit of faith, the fruit of faith, love, would change the world around us. And simply this, I'm just gonna ask every person in this room to raise your hand, maybe two hands. Come on, as an act of surrender. I know it's uncomfortable, I know it can be weird, just go ahead and raise your hands up. And Lord, right now you see every single person in this room, whether they have divorced those two or whether They've been living it out their whole lives. Lord, I pray you would continue to enable your people to live out the fruit of faith every single day of our lives. We want to change the world around us. We want to make a difference for you. Lord, I pray that it would be automatic. It would be out of the overflow of loving you and believing that this faith makes a difference in our world. Lord, I pray that we will make the choice to think about the fact that it's not in us, but it's in you. That we would die to self daily. We would lay ourselves down. Lord, help us to make a difference in our city. Help us to love the needy. Help us to help the orphans. Help us, God. God, to make a difference in every single life. In Jesus' name, come on, let's sing this out together. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.